Have you ever experienced a where's God moment? Have you ever experienced a a where's God moment? Over 25 years ago, I was 20, 21, and I was a junior in college at Cedarville College, and I was preparing to go into youth ministry, and I had no church experience at all, and so I thought, hey, maybe I could get some church experience part-time while I'm in college. And so I talked to a few different people and shared with them that that was kind of my thought and eventually got a call from a little church in New Carlisle, Ohio, which is about two hours north of here. And uh, they said, hey, um, we're looking for somebody to just come in on Sunday mornings and teach the teen Sunday school class, Wednesday nights, lead the youth group, and then on occasion do an activity here and there, and we'll pay you. I'm like, done. Um, and use some of that money to help me get through college and pay through college and things. And, but I had no experience whatsoever. I was in way over my head in this. And it wasn't long after I had started that little ministry and spending time with some of the teens. And there, there were maybe 10, 10 teens in the youth group at the time. And I remember not long after starting, I got a phone call. I don't remember who, who it was from the church that called me, but I remember getting a phone call and then saying, hey, Jeff and Nick Williams, who were two brothers in the youth group, um, their dad just suddenly passed away. And they wanted you to know. Jeff was, I want to think, a sophomore in high school. And Nick was the younger. He was probably in middle school. And I didn't know what to do. I'd never experienced anything as from the position of a church leader. What, what do I do? And all I knew to do was get in the car and go to the hospital and just be there with them. And so I did. And I remember walking into the hospital and seeing these two boys and their mom just grieving, understandably. I mean, just mourning this unexpected loss of her husband and their dad. And it was one of those where's God moments, if you know what I mean. I mean, for them, it was where's God, God, where are you in this? And even for me, I mean, from a completely different position in the situation, at times thinking, God, where are you in this? This morning, we're going to start a study in the book of Ruth, and so you can join me there, the book of Ruth. And the story of Ruth reminds us that God is faithful and present in the where's God moments of life. Her story reveals that, that God is, he's working even when you don't see it. That he is rescuing, that he's redeeming even when you may not feel it. And so the story of Ruth is going to remind us and reveal for us that no matter how dark the circumstance or how 
far from God someone might be, there's hope. Because Ruth's story is going to reveal to us that God is faithfully fulfilling his promises to his people in the where's God moments of life. And her story is like a light from a lighthouse that just keeps beaming to the lost ships in the fog. Hope in darkness. And so if you're here this morning and you need hope, um, or you know someone that needs hope, or you know someone that's walking through a where's God circumstance or situation, um, or there's someone you know that's really far from God, just waiting and walking through the, the spiritual darkness of their sin, turn to the story of Ruth. Because Ruth is going to reveal to us that there's hope. That there's hope. Well, how so? Well, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, although here we have that the title of the book is Ruth, the first chapter is really about Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. And, and what we see in this first chapter is Naomi's where's God circumstance or where's God situation. And if we just kind of walk our way through this, it tells us that in the days when the judges ruled is when this story unfolds. And the days of the judges, now what that means is not judges like you and I might picture in a courtroom. The judges during this time were like military leaders. So you had military leaders leading God's people like Samson Gideon, that's, that's the time period in which the story of Ruth takes place. And so they're, they're leading God's people, and it was a very dark time spiritually. It was a time when even the judges would say that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There was rampant sin, evil, there was civil war happening, there was war and fighting between families and tribes. There was sexual sin. There was just apathy among God's people, rebellion. It was a difficult time to be a follower of God. It was just spiritual darkness was everywhere during this time of Ruth, the story of Ruth. It was a where's God kind of culture. I mean, if you were to, to live in the time of Ruth and read the headlines, you might at times wonder, God, where are you? That was the situation culturally that the story of Ruth finds itself in. But there's more. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. 
And so not only is spiritually, it's, it's a time of, God, where are you? Spiritual darkness and evil. There's a famine. So Naomi's family, they're starving to death. They're hungry. They can't find food to put on the table. And it's so bad that they actually need to leave their home and go to a completely different land that they've never lived in before. And the land they're heading to, Moab, was actually a, a, a land that they used to be enemies of God's people. So, so it must be so bad. They can't put food on the table. It's a horrible situation that Elimelech and Naomi say, we've got to get out of here. If, if, if we stay here, we're going to starve to death. And some of you know that our family, we lived in Ireland for a couple of years. And if you know anything about Irish history, that back in the 1840s, there was the Great Famine. They also called it the Great Hunger, where over a million Irish left the little island of Ireland because of the Great Hunger. And they left on ships going to Australia and the United States. That's why we have such a high population of Irish in places like New York City and Boston. It was because of the Great Famine, the Great Hunger that happened in Ireland. It was so bad. Families were getting on ships and leaving because there was not enough food in Ireland to feed their family. That's the situation here. It's so bad that Naomi and her husband go, we got to get our boys out of here. If we don't leave, we're going to die. And so not only is it spiritually a where's God culture and situation, physically, they're starving to death. It's a where, where's God? God, where are you? So they moved to this place called Moab. In verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. So to just add insult to injury. So here she is. Spiritually darkened climate. Famine. Her family's starving to death. And now her husband dies. She's a widow. And a single mom like that. A widow and a single mom in just a matter of moments. What's she going to do? Think about Think of, Feel that for a moment. If that's you. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? God, where are you? What in the world? And then to add misery to misery, she's left with her two sons, so she's a widow and a single mom. They get into Moab, and the boys grow up, and they take Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they live there about 10 years, and then both Malan and Kilian, they die. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So here she is, a single mom. The boys grow up. They're there for 10 years, starting to settle into the land. They get married. Maybe there's hope. And now her sons die. Now she's got to bury her own children in a land that's unfamiliar to her. You talk about, God, where are you? Where are you? And now she's kind of alone. And she has her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and, and Ruth. David Guzik, who is a Bible scholar, says this. He says, to be a childless widow was to be among the lowest, most disadvantaged classes in the ancient world. There was no one to support you, and you had to live on the generosity of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab and no one else to help her. It was a desperate situation. Have you ever felt desperate? Have you ever experienced a desperate circumstance? That's Naomi. And if you have, then you understand maybe a little bit of what she's feeling. 
And she goes on and she begins in her own words to describe her desperate situation. Look at verses 19 through 22. So Naomi, from her own words, is recognizing how difficult her situation is and that it's a where's God situation. Look at verse 19. She, it says, so the two of them, referring to her and Ruth, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? So it's kind of like she, she, we're kind of fast forwarding into the story. So she goes back to Bethlehem, kind of meets up with the ladies from the book club, from the coffee shop that she used to hang out with. And they're like, hey, is this Naomi? Naomi, you're home. You're back. After 10 years, you're looking good. We can recognize you after 10 years. That's great. And what's she say? Verse 20, don't call me Naomi. Why? Well, see, people's names back then had meaning, like we do today. But they really meant something to them. And Naomi's mean, her name means pleasant. It means pleasant. And say, so Naomi's going, don't, don't, don't call me Pleasant. Why? But she says, call me Mara. Well, the name Mara means bitter. She says, call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. In verse 21, she says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now think about that for a moment. She went away full. How is that possible? It was, it was famine, starving to death. The, the spiritual climate was pitch black. And she says, I went away full, but I've come back empty. What's she doing? She's comparing her life now to what it used to be. And it was bad when, when, when what it used to be. But it's like, if I compare what I'm feeling now in this moment to what it was like, what it was like sure looks full compared to what I'm experiencing now. And that word empty means empty-handed. It means I don't have anything anymore. I don't have anything. And, and it also means like no, no effect, no purpose. So she's feeling, what's my purpose? Where's God? And, and then she says in verse, the latter part of verse 21, she says, why call, Naomi, call, why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. But, but she says, why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And, and she seems to continually recognize God's hand in this. Right? In, in verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me? She said, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? It seems in her statements that she's recognizing God's hand in this. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if she's blaming God here or if she's just recognizing God's sovereign hand in her life. I, I don't really know for sure, but let me tell you what I think. I think it's the latter. I don't think she's blaming God here. I think she's just simply recognizing that God has his hand 
in all of this in some way. Now, why do I think that? I think that because she returns home. She goes back to Bethlehem. She has every opportunity to stay in Moab, where she could be bitter. It's where she lives now. It's where her sons are buried, potentially. Right? So she has every reason to be bitter and to just stay in Moab, be angry at God, but she returns home. And where she returns home to is the land of God's people, the land of promise, the, the land that he promised that he would give his people. And God said, that's where my presence is going to be, in that land. That's where I am, God said. I will dwell among you in this land, this promised land. And so I think she's returning home, recognizing that, yes, God has provided for his people once again, and we'll see that in a moment. But I think she returns home because she's, no, I need to go back to where God's people are. God said his presence, that's where I'm going. That's where I belong. And I think there's a lesson there for us in the sense that if you're bitter, or when you begin to sense bitterness, lean into God, not away from God. Run to God, not from Him. Charles Spurgeon said this. He's the prince of preachers back in the 1800s in, in England. He says, It is a sweet thing to be able to trace the hand of God in our affliction. For nothing can come from that hand towards one of his children but that which is good and right. You may rest assured that nothing can come from those hands but what infinite wisdom directs and infinite love has ordained. But I, but I love Naomi here because she's just honest. She's not trying to hide her feelings. What she's, she's like, no, this is a horrible situation I'm experiencing but I recognize God's hand in this and I need to go back to, to where I'm from because that's the land of God's people, the land of God's presence. When our kids were little and if you have children, then I think you'll relate to this. When our kids were little and we try to get them to fall asleep, we'd use a pacifier, a binky, right? Binky, whatever you call it. We'll call it a binky. All right, you know those moments, right? Maybe you're heading on a journey, on a trip, and you know that you need Binky. You need Binky to help them fall asleep. Binky is a necessity of life for you. Yeah, for the kid, but for you. You know this, right? There are moments, right, when you put the kids down for bed, and you can't find Binky. You just can't, and the kid is just screaming their lungs. I mean, just, it just you know... Their tongue's out. I mean, it's just so bad. They're screaming, tears, and you can't find Binky. You are looking at, you, are, you find yourself on all fours, you and your, all fours in the room looking for Binky, right? You put the baby in the car seat so you can pull out the mattress from the crib to see if Binky's hidden under there. You look under beds. You're looking everywhere for this thing, right, to try to solve not only their screaming, but now you're screaming, Right? And you're screaming, going, God, please help us. You, uh, you're praying a prayer you never imagined you'd pray. God, help us find Binky. Right? I mean, that's coming. You're like, what? I just, I'm asking God to help me find Binky. Right? I mean, and it just gets so bad to the point where, I mean, for you now, you're thinking, God, where are you? 
Come on. I can't take much more. Even in those moments, we're like, those are where's God little moments. And here's Naomi on a much heightened level of where's God. The, the, the culture she's in spiritually is so, it's just pitch black. Her family has been starving. Her husband has died. She's had to bury her boys. It seems hopeless. What once was pleasant is now bitter. What once was full now feels empty. But like that lighthouse comes a light. Just a ray of hope in the midst of her bitterness, in that fog. How so? There's good news coming. There's good news in this story. Where? How? Ruth. Ruth is the good news. How so? Look at what Ruth has to say. Verses 6 through 15. Actually, verse 18 says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she, she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, no, we're going we're gonna to go back to, to your people with you, Naomi. But Naomi said, no, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marriage? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me or to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And what you have happening here is Ruth gets word that the famine is over, that God has provided once again for his people. And it's in that moment that Ruth makes a decision. I'm going to head back. I'm, I'm, I'm running back to the land where God's presence dwells, where God's people are. And she says to her daughters, oh, listen, why don't you guys just, just stay here in Moab? This is, this is home for you. This is where you're from. Just, just stay. And there's lots of tears. And Orpah and Ruth are like, no, no, we'll, we'll go back with you. We'll just, we'll, we'll go with you. And Naomi insists, no, 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 don't, come on. Stay here, remarry, have a family. Just, I insist. There's lots more tears. Eventually, Orpah's like, okay, I'm out later. Probably didn't go down like that, but, but she says, okay. But it says that Ruth clings to Naomi and then we're about to hear Ruth speak for the very first time in the story. And it's here where we see this hope 
this light in the darkness. Look at what she has to say. Verse 15. This is Naomi. And she says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now, let's not forget that Ruth is experiencing her own where's God moment. She's lost her father-in-law. She's lost her husband. Now she's hearing that her mother-in-law, the one that she's trying to be loyal to, is, is leaving. And so here's Ruth in the midst of her own where's God circumstance and situation. And she says, no, no, I, I'm, I'm coming with you. I, I, I'm, I'm going with you, Naomi. For, for where you go, I'm going to go. And where you, you're going to lodge, I'm, I'm going to lodge. Your people are going to be my people and your God, my God. What, what she's saying by all this, I, I think Ruth is saying that I, I want to leave the gods that I've been trusting in and follow your God. I, I, I think she's saying, I believe in your God now. I want your people to be my people because the God you worship is my God now. And, and so I, I think Ruth wants to follow Naomi because Ruth is now following Naomi's God. And I think what's happening here, and, and in reading about this from different theologians and commentators, those 10 years that Ruth was in Moab with Naomi, and Naomi experiencing all the bitterness and the difficult circumstances of her life, she still, Ruth was still able to observe Naomi's faithfulness, even in the midst of heartache and pain. And I think somehow in that, Ruth was seeing the God that Naomi worships. And somehow in all of that, Ruth's observing Naomi's relationship with God and through that saying, I want to follow a God like that. I want to follow that God. And Naomi's walk with God had such an impact on Ruth to the point where she says, no, 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 I'm following you because I am following your God. I want your God to be my God. And if your God is going to be my God, then God's people are going to be my people. And, and I wonder, when people look at your life, when they look at my life, can they say, like what Ruth said to Naomi, I, I, I want to follow your God. I want to follow your God now. And I, I don't think Naomi had any idea God was using her circumstance or her where's God situation to rescue Ruth, if you will. But God was, and he did. And that's what he does. He's that good. He redeems. He rescues. And here's the truth I want us to get a hold of. What you and I may see as bitter God is using to do something better. What you and I may see as 
bitter, God is using to redeem something better. Little did Naomi know that her faith, that her walk with God, that her decision to go back to the land of promise, to go back to where the presence of God was, to return to him, that God was using that in Ruth's life. See, what Naomi was seeing as bitter, God was using to do something better. He's using it to call Ruth to himself. And think about the situation of the story, right? It's the time of judges. It's rebellion against God. It's darkness. It's the loss of a husband, the loss of sons, the loss of just everything is what Naomi was feeling. So where's God? And it would seem hopeless, but not to God, but not to him. You see, Ruth's response to Naomi's where's God situation shows God is working even when you don't see it. That he's working even when you may not feel it. And that what you and I may see as bitter, God is using to do something better, to redeem, to rescue. You say, well, okay, do we see this anywhere else in Scripture? Absolutely. Join me in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing, and look at what he says here in verse 7. He says, in him, meaning in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Think about that for a moment. Redemption through blood. Redemption through death. For those who walked with Jesus for those three years, for Jesus' own family, the, the death and the crucifixion of Jesus was a bitter moment, a where's God moment. Say, God, where are you in this? The one we've been following, he's dead. He's bleeding on a cross. It was one of those moments where you're thinking, God, where are you? And yet it would seem hopeless, but, but not to God, because what is God doing? God is redeeming through that blood. <laughs> He's rescuing through that blood. The bitter death of Jesus on the cross, God is using to do something better, to redeem those who will surrender their lives to Jesus. That's what he does. He's taking something that would look bitter and using it to redeem something better, to do something better, to rescue, to save, and to rescue you and me from the, from the darkness and the shame and the guilt of our sin and to reunite us with the God who made us all through a bitter moment, the cross. And I th think the truth that we can take with us this morning from this first chapter of Ruth is that what Naomi saw as bitter, God was using to do something better. He was using it to rescue Ruth. And what you and I may see as bitter moments, God can use to do something better. He can use it to redeem and rescue. And maybe, I don't know what your circumstances, I don't know what your situation, maybe he wants to redeem you. Or maybe he wants to use your situation to rescue and redeem someone that's near to you. You know, I don't know whatever happened to Jeff and Nick Williams. I actually this week tried to find them via social media. 
I thought I'd found a Jeff through LinkedIn. Sure looked like him. Um, the descriptions of the things that this man was involved in reminded me a little bit of what Jeff might be involved in. So I sent a message to Jeff. Um, I haven't heard back, so I don't know. And I don't know how Jeff's and Nick's story, how their story is going to end. I don't know how their where's God moment is going to end. But I do know this, that God can take what was a bitter situation, a where's God situation, do something better with it. He can redeem. He can rescue. And I know that because the story of Ruth and the story of the death of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, I know that. So as the pan comes, I want you to think, what's, what, what's the Spirit saying to you this morning? Just bow your head, close your eyes for a moment. Just think. What's he saying? 